You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. Boy, I've missed being up here. It's been like three weeks since I've been up here with you guys in this context. We are in the book of, I've forgotten, Matthew. For those of you who are relatively new to the congregation, we've been in the book of Matthew for, I think we've reached the year mark last week. Um, I'm getting the nod. I trust Miss Linda there. So uh, we're getting uh, the nod that we have been, children, thank you, for just going. <laughs> Matt, I heard what you said about pulling a, pulling a Pastor Peter. I, read, I listened to that sermon. That was great. It's true, though. I, I, it's written, dismiss kids, and I never... Uh, we're just going to get a neon sign in the back at some point, and uh, everyone will wonder, what does that sign have to do? It's for pastor, because he doesn't remember. Children go to children's church. It's a great place for them to learn about the Bible um, in an age-appropriate way, and uh, got great teachers, great lessons for them. Those of us up here, uh, we're in the book of Matthew. We've been in the book of Matthew for a year. We've been walking our way through the book of Matthew, line by line, chapter by chapter, section by section, and it's been a great journey. To be able to uh, start with the birth of Jesus and grow with him and learn as the disciples are learning and see the things that they saw and then to apply them to our lives. It's been an excellent journey uh, for myself to study it and I hope for y'all as a congregation. Um, I want to recap, since it's been a few weeks since we've been in the book of Matthew, I want to recap where we are uh, in the book. We're in Matthew chapter 16 and here is what has been happening. Um, Jesus and the disciples are in Gentile territory. So he's left the uh, Jewish population of the towns, and he's moved away from the Jewish centers. He's now in the Gentile territory. Um, He has fed the 4,000 already, and that is the feeding of the Gentile people. So the feeding of the 5,000 was the feeding of the Jewish population. The feeding of the 4,000 was the feeding of the Gentile population, both of which were to say everybody gets to be in the kingdom of God. Everybody has a place at the fullness of God's table. So then he told the disciples, um, stay away from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers and the scribes. What they're teaching is bad teaching. Don't participate in what they're teaching. Don't give um, credence to what they're teaching in the eyes of other people because they're going to lead you astray. It looks like we're on similar passages but we're actually going to end up going this way, Jesus says. And you want to be with me, not with the leaders of the day. And then um, Jesus asked Peter, who do you think I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah. You are Jesus, the one who's going to die for our sins. You are going to forgive us from our sins, bring us home to be in the kingdom with God. And then Jesus said this in um, Matthew 16, I am going to suffer and die at the hands of the scribes and the leaders and the Pharisees. And then I will be raised again on the third day. And Peter, gotta love the guy, immediately rebuked Jesus. Who rebukes Jesus? So Peter rebukes Jesus and says, may it never be that you would die. And Jesus then rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. The one who literally just confessed him as the Messiah is now, get behind me, Satan, because Jesus is focused at this point. He is saying, there is one goal at hand. I am walking to Jerusalem. I am going to go to Jerusalem and die on the cross for the sins of the world. Laser-focused mission is what Jesus had. Anyone who is going to detract from that, get behind him, because he was on a mission. 
you know, that statement that Peter made about may it never be kind of made Jesus go, well, it might be time for another mentoring session with the disciples. It might be time to pull them aside and have a little chat about where we're going now, about the life that I am calling them to lead. And this is where we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 16. It's going to be in verse 24. We're going to pray before we read the word, then we're going to read and, uh, and ask God to teach us something this morning about our lives. Father, um, may it never be that we say the things that Peter said secondarily. We want to claim you as Christ, but we never want to deny your work in our life. Lord, I pray that as we read your word today, we'd take it to heart. We just learned in Sunday school that all of scripture is profitable for teaching and for rebuke and for correction so that the, the men and women of God might be made whole in it. So, Father, would you make us whole this morning in your word? Would you fill in the areas in our life in which are lacking with your Holy Spirit? Because we can't fix our lives, you can. We want to submit ourselves to you this morning, submit ourselves to your holy word, and say that as it is read, we will listen and take heed, and we will chew on it, and we will discuss it, and we will pray about it, and then we will do our best under the power of your Holy Spirit to live it out. We want to give you all the praise and all the glory, Father. Our ears are open to what you would have to say to us this morning. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Matthew, chapter 16, verse 24 through 28. Four short verses, so much content. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his life? For the Son of Man is coming with the angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Four verses... Jesus has got a little mentoring session with the disciples. A little mentoring session to say, listen, um, you need to understand the seriousness of the life that I am calling you to follow. There are four words that stuck out to me. Four words in this passage that stuck out to me this week. And again, it seems like when I study the word uh, in, in preparation for a sermon, I get stuck on something. There's always something that is the roadblock that the Lord just keeps hitting my brain up against and my heart up against. And all of the other stuff seems to file right underneath that and support that and encourage that main thing. Well, it was four words, and it just happened to be in the first verse of that reading. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We're going to spend the meat of our time in that verse this morning looking at four words. If. If would be that first word. Um, if anyone wishes to come after me, if is a big word, right? Um, we use that a lot in our life. It's a conditional phrase. It's a conditional word. Children use it sometimes. Well, I'll eat my broccoli if I can have dessert. I'll behave if I can get something in return for it. There's the if is the conditional, you know, I'll do this if, I'll behave if, I'll go there if. 
So if is an option word. If is a word that is a crossroads for you. If is a word that you can decide, am I going to go this way or am I going to go that way? Or perhaps there's a third way and I'll go that way. If. It's a lot of possibilities. And I think it's interesting that Jesus starts off a mentoring session with if. He's giving the disciples a choice here. Many people want to follow Jesus, but most people want to do it on their own terms. I want to follow Jesus, but I want to do it my way. Jesus and I have an agreement. I can do these things, and it doesn't count against me. Okay? We, we do that in our own lives. If we're honest, okay, we have a way of thinking about Jesus that might not be exactly biblical. So we want to do it our way, not necessarily the biblical Jesus way. We see this in culture a lot. People want to follow Jesus because they recognize that Jesus offers something good for their lives, but they want to do it on their own terms because ultimately they're not willing to give up portion of their life. Jesus said this, only those who follow him on his terms can be his disciples. You get that? Only people who follow Jesus on his terms can be a Jesus disciple and that they would be rewarded for their loyalty. Jesus defined a true follower in three ways, okay, three ways. And each time he defined this follower, he used what's called a Greek imperative. For those of you who don't know Greek, that's okay. I don't really know Greek either. I know enough to be dangerous. I know that a Greek imperative, um, it's translated in the English as let him. So it would read like this, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, let him follow me. Okay? That's the Greek imperative, let him. But unfortunately, when it translates to English, it loses the imperative part um, of the, the, the language, the, the force behind it, the, uh, the emotion behind the phrase. So when Jesus defined his disciple, he, he said, let him, but the, it loses the weight. The, the best way to phrase this would be a disciple, if anyone wants to come after me, he must take up his cross. He must deny himself. He must follow. Let him is still kind of weak in the English. Sometimes I think English needs to be Greek because Greek has a little more oomph to it. Um, but I don't know Greek, so it would be it's Greek to me. So um, he used this forceful term, he must. But he used that in cooperation with the word if. If you choose this path, you must deny yourself. If you choose to follow me, to be my disciple, you must take up your cross. It's not an option if you choose to follow Jesus. Now, if you don't choose to follow Jesus, then you don't have to take up the cross. You don't have to follow him. You don't have to deny yourself. That's the if. And Jesus starts the mentorship statement with if. He's not forcing people to go with him. He's not forcing people to be a Jesus follower. Does he want everyone to follow him and love him and worship him and serve him and rejoice with him and fellowship with him and engage with him and be in heaven with him forever and be part of the kingdom? Yes. Yes, he does. But he's not going to force people to do it. He's going to give a choice. If you want to be a Jesus disciple, you must deny yourself. You must take up the cross. And you must follow where he goes. Those are the ways that Jesus describes the disciple. To follow Jesus requires inward self-renunciation and outward manifestation of it. 
Inwardly, you must renounce certain aspects of your flesh, sinful desires and practices. Then outwardly, you must manifest that and choose to be selfless instead of selfish. You must be in willing submission to whatever sufferings might befall you as a disciple of Christ. I want you to think about this statement because it comes directly on the heels of this. From this time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. He would be killed and on the third day raised again. And so immediately after that, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross. Now, I just want you to think about what the disciples were hearing then. The disciples were hearing, I am your Lord. I'm going to go die for you. And if you want to follow me, you're going to do the same. There was a context there of, is Jesus saying, if I choose the if that goes with him, that I am going to if my way into crucifixion? Am I going to have to follow him to death? Am I going to have to die myself? That's why the if statement is there. Jesus is saying, I want you to think about this. This is not a choice you just willy-nilly wander into. This is something that you must choose and embrace with every fiber of your being. Because where I go, you will go. And the things that I experience, you will experience. And the things that I am calling you to do are things that I am going to have done myself. If you want to follow Jesus, anyone who wishes to come after, he must deny himself. This is the second word God put on my heart today. The true follower must deny himself. This word in Greek was really interesting to me this week. Because this specific word is only used by the four gospel writers. It's not anywhere else in scripture. It's only used by the four gospel writers. And get this. It's only used in passages that parallel this passage. It is used in an incredibly narrow, focused, specific, limited way in scripture. By four authors in a very specific fashion. It is used in this account in the other gospels. So when Jesus says in the other gospels... Um, you need to deny yourself and take up the cross and follow. So when the other gospel writers write that, that same word is used, okay? And when um, Jesus tells Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me, that's the word that's used. And when Peter actually denies Jesus, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. That's when it was used. That's it. That's the number of times this word is used in scripture. Want to know what the word is? <clears throat> aparneomai, aparneomai in Greek. It means to deny utterly, to completely deny, to deny utterly, to be completely done with, to have no part of, to deny utterly. Now think about what that means in terms of Peter for a moment when he denied Jesus. I don't know the man. He completely denied his relationship with Jesus. Jesus knew he was going to do that. He told Peter he was going to do that. Think about what it means in terms of this passage. If anyone wants to f come after me, he must utterly deny himself. I'm me. How do I deny myself? That, I mean, that's a hard, I can't, I have a problem wrestling with that. What does that mean to deny myself? The verb is used to convey the most conclusive denial. The most conclusive denial. To deny oneself with this depth of denial is to live without a single thread of self-centered thought devoted exclusively to Jesus 
and Jesus' work. Jesus was not saying that we need to unnecessarily create pain or deprivation for ourselves. He's not saying, starve yourself, never eat food. He's not saying, never drink water. He's not saying, don't ever laugh and have a good time. Okay? He's not saying, deny yourself in that context. He's saying, when selfishness arises and you have an if opportunity in life, do I do something selfish or do I help someone in need? I have extra money. I could buy a TV or I could feed the poor. I could fix my neighbor's car. If. He's saying at that moment, those who have chosen to follow deny themselves. Seek the greater good, the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying that we need to be prepared to let go of anything that competes with his kingdom in our life. Anything that complete, competes with the kingdom of God, we need to let go of. We need to be willing to say, no, nah, I can't hold on to that anymore. And it might actually be something that's not bad. It might be a good thing. But when that good thing we hold on tighter to than our followership with Jesus, then that good thing becomes a bad thing. And we need to go and empty our hands of it because the only thing we need to hold on to is Jesus. But you might say, I'm a good person. I don't have much to give up. God and I have a great relationship together. My good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. I'm a decent person. I come to church, read the Bible, I study it, I pray. I give every now and again. I'm a good person. And to that, this is, the reason I bring that up is because I hear this so often in ministry. But why do I have to deny myself? I'm a good person. I don't have to do that because I've done other good things. Scripture would say this, no one is good except Christ. There is no part of us that is righteous before God except what Christ has done and is doing in us. When, um, without surrendering one's present life to Christ, you cannot have eternal life with Christ. You cannot choose on the if statement to not come after Jesus and then wonder why you don't get to be with Jesus at the end of your life. When surrendering one's present life to Christ, you cannot, without surrendering one's present life to Christ, you cannot have eternal life with him. Verse 26 in this passage, it's kind of like a rhetorical question or a riddle Jesus is posing the disciples. It says this in verse 26. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or, or what could a man give in return for his soul? Like we read over those verses and we're like, okay, Jesus is talking to the disciples. Now I'll get to the main point. What's the point here? But those are really important questions. It's a rhetorical question meant for us this morning. It's a rhetorical question. It's a riddle. And there's only one answer. What can you give in exchange for your soul? Anybody? Nothing. Nothing. You can't give anything in exchange for your soul. You have nothing of value that can be equated in the same way as your soul. So when Jesus says, what's, gonna, what's it going to profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his life? Well, it's not. He's dead. He's going to gain nothing in that. Um, what's, gonna, what's a man going to give in return for his life or his soul? Nothing. He has nothing of value that is of the same equivalent as the soul there is no way to buy, trade, or earn salvation. You cannot do it. In this passage, um, 
I think in my reading it says give. Um, in yours it might say repay or in exchange for or return. What shall a man give in return for or give for his soul? The, the Greek word here is a term used for a commerce transaction. Um, it refers to the price, something given in exchange for something else. But Jesus is telling us with this rhetorical question, um, if a man loses his soul, he can find no equivalent for it in the whole range of the possessions of the world from which to ransom his soul from death. If you choose to come after Jesus, you must deny yourself. Because if you lose your life and have not Jesus, you will not gain your soul back again. There is nothing you can give to Jesus that will give that back. In contrast... A person who acquires salvation by responding to Christ's death and resurrection, living in wholehearted discipleship and allegiance to him, Jesus says, I paid the purchase price for your soul. I have been the one that was the price that was exchanged for your soul. And so therefore, it is freely yours unto salvation because the price of my blood has paid it for you. The only thing that can purchase your soul from death is the blood of Jesus. You might um, even use the Greek word that was used here. What can you give for the return of your soul? The Greek word is ontologma. You might say that Jesus is the ontologma for you and your soul. He is the price that was given in exchange for your soul to ransom you from death so that you can choose to follow him with all your heart and soul and mind. And is this not a great love, that one would lay his life down for someone else? That Jesus would deny himself so that you could have life and life eternal? He's not asking you to do something he has not already done with his own life and body. If you want to come after Jesus, you must deny yourself. The second thing, a devoted follower, he must take up his cross. He must take up his cross. And in the context of this passage, it takes up new significance because Jesus has literally just told the disciples, um, um, I'm going to die on a cross, and you will now take up your cross. So if you were standing in front of Jesus, and he said, um, okay, so you say you want to follow me. Um, here's what it's going to take. Are you willing to follow me to the cross, to the death? Would you still say yes? Because that's what the disciples were faced with in that moment. He used this, um, this passage to kind of lay the emphasis down. He had just finished telling the disciples, I will die at the hands of the leaders. I will be killed. And if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself of anything that's contrary to the kingdom of God. And you must be willing to endure the same fate I will endure. What is implied in taking something up? Anybody? To put something down. Um, you ever tried to carry? Um, I'm, I'm a lazy man. Um, my mom used to say it's the lazy man's load, and I would do it every single time. Move the laundry from one room to the other, move the dishes from one room to the other. How much can I put 
in my arms at one time so that I do not have to take two trips. Right? I do it today. To this day, and there's a trail of socks usually behind me, okay? Because I will not take two trips from the car to the house with groceries. I will wear them all. Because I do not go back. It's, it's like five steps. And like, it's a, it's, a, it's a journey to the car. And I will, not, I will do it in one trip. It's a lazy man's load. But have you ever been carrying a lot of things and it's just that one last thing? It's like that jug of laundry soap or that milk, you know? And you've got everything and you're like... I don't know how to, and then you're like with the teeth, you're trying to get it, and in order to get that, you realize you're going to have to set something down. You're going to have to renegotiate your load, okay? In order to take up the cross, you must set things down. That's the denial part. If you want to come after Jesus, deny yourself, you must be willing to lay down your preconceived notions of safety, your preconceived notions of wealth, your preconceived notions of whatever else you might have a preconceived notion of. You must be willing to lay that down and say, I'm going to follow Jesus even if I'm poor, even if I don't get married, even if I never have children, even if it takes me to a foreign country, even if, even if, because those even ifs are nothing. I want to be with Jesus. Um, it needs to be clearly stated you cannot take up the cross of Christ and hold on to the banner of another God. You cannot take up the cross of Christ and hold on to the banner of another God. You cannot be a devoted follower of Christ and practice New Age spiritualism. You cannot be a devoted follower of Christ and practice New Age spiritualism. You cannot be a devoted follower of Christ and embrace the occult. You cannot be a devoted follower of Christ and rely on your own works to save you. You cannot be a devoted follower of Christ and have a patchwork system of faith and religion where you take this and that and that and do the buffet style. Cannot be a devoted follower of Christ, take up his cross, and carry the banner of something else in your life. Because if you indeed hold on to Jesus with one hand, and whatever other system you've got, in the other hand, when Christ calls you to go somewhere or do something and deny yourself and it's difficult and you don't feel like it, I got this other system for now. And it's okay because Jesus and I have an agreement. And then you forfeit your soul. And there's no price by which you can pay to get that back if you follow another God. There is no other God but Jesus who can save your soul when Christ calls you to something difficult, you need to let go of the false gods because they bring you no hope. And you need to grasp your arms around Jesus and say, come what may, if I've got him, I will weather the storm. Take up his cross. Deny the things that lead to nothing and lay them aside so that your hands and your heart and your mind are filled only with the cross of Christ, the good news, the gospel of Jesus, for you and for the world around you. Um, I have a favorite song by a group called Ren Collective. We sing their songs sometimes, Build Your Kingdom Here, a great rousing band. They have a lyric in one of their songs, and the lyric says this, and I think it just it sums up this scripture really well. We abandon the lesser things to take hold of the kingdom keys. We have everything this world could need, 
We have Jesus. We have Jesus. I love that. We abandon the lesser things because everything is lesser. And we abandon them so that we can take hold of the kingdom keys. We have everything the world could need. We've got Jesus. We have Jesus. The third thing Jesus says, you must follow me. If you want to come after Jesus, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and you must follow. Jesus commanded the disciples to follow him in uh, verse 419. Um, But the suffering that goes with that followership was not really clarified until this passage. When follow me comes after take up the cross. So this time the command is a little more ominous. And the disciples were being challenged to follow Jesus to Jerusalem. He was giving them an out. He was saying, you're my followers, I'm giving you an out. If you aren't going to do this, here's your out, if you want to come after me. To follow him where he was persecuted, and to be persecuted as well. To follow him while he was arrested, and perhaps be arrested as well. Ultimately, to follow him to the cross, and then watch him die for their sins in their place. And then be moved by such a great love to follow that example of sacrificial living and dying. Following was easy when you could see Jesus, right, tangibly. Talk to him, eat with him, have him pray for you. Following became more faith-filled with Jesus crucified and the disciples scattered. So how do you follow Jesus now? How do you do it? Well, God promises that he will come again in victory one day. He will repay every single man on the face of the planet. No one is exempt. Every single person, Scripture says in this passage, will be repaid. But you are not repaid according to the deeds of your hands. This passage says, I will repay each person according to what he has done. That does not mean works. I will repay each person according to what you have done in your heart. Have you loved Jesus? Have you taken up his cross? Have you followed him? Have you served him? You will be repaid according to your heart. Have you done the one deed that is the most important deed? Have you loved Jesus? Have you allowed him to love you? Because God and only God has the victory over death and sin and evil. And regardless of where followership takes you, he passes victory to those who come with him. And I have two examples for you today. A most recent example. Perhaps you're familiar with this face. Yes, no? Yes. Okay. Her name is Kayla Mueller, for those who don't know. Um, uh, She explained her faith and what motivated her her life choices to be a follower of Jesus in uh, in a letter when she was 21 years old, the 2011. She said this, I find God in the suffering eyes reflected in mine. If this is how you're revealed to me, then this is how I will forever seek you. I will always seek God. Some people find God in church and some people find God in nature and some people find God in love. I find God in suffering. I've known for some time what my life's work is, using my hands and to, as tools to relieve suffering. She understood this idea that to be a follower of Jesus is to equate life with suffering. So she dedicated her life to helping others in need at home and around the world. She volunteered at women's shelters and in AIDS clinics. Um, she worked with humanitarian organizations in India and Israel and Palestine and was compelled by this desire to serve others like Jesus had served her. Eventually, she ended up in Turkey 
and she was providing comfort and support to Syrian refugees who were forced to flee their home during the war. And at the time, she was helping Syrian refugees. In 2013, she was taken captive by ISIS. In November 2014, she was still in captivity, but she was able to send a letter home to her her parents. Some of you might have read the letter. It made the news. I want to read an excerpt of this letter for you. This was written in November 2014, so just a few short months ago. If you are receiving this letter, it means I'm still detained, and it's hard to know what to say. Please know I'm safe, unharmed, and healthy, but the thought of you sends me into a fit of tears. I remember mom always telling me that all in all, the only thing you really have is God. I've come to a place in experience where in every sense of the word, I've surrendered myself to our creator because literally there's nothing else. By God, I have been tenderly cradled in free fall. I love that line. By God, I have been tenderly cradled in free fall. I have been shown darkness, light, and I have learned that even in prison, one can be free. I'm grateful. I'm not breaking down. I will not give in no matter how long it takes. Do not fear for me. Continue to pray as I will. And just last Monday, the family released confirmation of Kyla's death at the age of 26. She didn't die at the hands of ISIS. Um, It was a mortar shell or some sort of bomb. But she was in captivity at that point because she had decided to follow Jesus to the utmost ends of the earth, serving those that needed help with the love of Jesus and helping hands. She ultimately gave her life for Jesus. And yes... As pastors, we always pull out that story about the disciple who went all the way to death, right? Because it's an option. In a very literal sense, we could, as Jesus followers, end up giving our life for Christ. We can't shy away from that. We must talk about that. It's a potential for any Jesus follower to give their life for the gospel. But those aren't the only kinds of stories um, about followership, about denying oneself and about giving up life as we would know it and following towards the cross. There are actually so many ways a follower of Christ can give their life away for Jesus, to deny themselves and to take up the cross. Um, you, you might live 90 years, 100 years, 110 years, fall asleep in Christ in the middle of the night, right? Like that's how I want to go. A long-lived life serving Jesus, go to sleep one night, and I'll wake up in the arms of Jesus. That just sounds like the best possible outcome. There are countless stories of Jesus followers who lived a life of quiet fellowship with open homes. They taught classes. They showed up early to make sure the lights and the heat were turned on in the nursery. They did the unseen things so that when people showed up to hear the word of God, they would not be distracted by other things. When do we hear these stories? We hear them at funerals and memorial services when people are invited to share about how that person had impacted their life, right? I've been to enough to hear these kinds of things. Sweet old saints leading children to the Lord and then those children having been grown up and are now parents and at a memorial service testifying to that person and how they set a chain of events in the life that they live so that they don't no longer walk in darkness, but now they grew up loving Jesus and their children are growing up loving Jesus because of that person. We hear stories of how provision was made for a financial need in the church or in someone's personal life, and it was only after the fact that they realized it came from God 
through someone in the church, through the pocket of a sweet saint, a follower of Jesus, who denied themselves something so that others could have their need met. We hear stories, and this one I I know, the person who lived this story, of a living room chair's armrest that was worn through the fabric down to the wood because day in and day out a sweet saint knelt, rested their arms in prayer for so many hours, for so many years, interceding for the lost and the sick and the lonely and the hurting that Jesus would show themselves strong. Isn't that great to take up their cross and to follow and deny themselves in such a way that their armchair showed the visible indent of where they had prayed for so many hours? Your life can look like that, though, if you choose to follow. So why not make that choice today? Why not choose to have a life of followership with Jesus? To choose to receive that great love that God has for you and to do so by realizing that everything else pales in comparison. This morning, let God's love for you motivate you to love Him. Motivate you to love others. Motivate you to serve others and to build a community of Jesus around you. And as a pastor, I can tell you things to do that will look Christian, okay? I can tell you that you can say words of a prayer and that if you come forward and kneel and say certain words, then all of a sudden you are a Christian. But I'm probably going to be one of the rare people that say it's not necessarily true. Just because you do certain things doesn't mean your heart has gone to be with Jesus. So while I could tell you to do certain things, to look like a Christ follower, I don't want empty works if you do not love God and let God love you. I just simply want to close with the lyrics of the song, and then um, we'll have a, a song that you guys can listen to as you reflect upon what it means to be a disciple in your life. Um, the lyrics of the song. And if you want to follow Jesus through life and through the victory of eternal life, and you're ready to let his love effect change in your life, then while this song is sung in just a few seconds, um, I would encourage you to make a physical action to connect with the action that is going on on the inside of your heart, okay? Put thought and word and action together because we as a church want to see that you're committing your life to Jesus or saying, I've loved Jesus, but now I'm, I'm all in. I'm in this for the real road. I need to give something up to follow Jesus. Let us come around you and pray with you and encourage you in that. Listen to these lyrics. Take up thy cross. Take up thy cross. Take up thy cross and follow. Follow, follow. Come, faithful seeker of the night. My voice is calling in the night. Walk with me. I'll be your guide. Follow me. Come, weary pilgrim, and take my hand. I'm going to lift you up and let you stand. All who seek the promised land, follow me. Come, follow me. All who hunger, all who suffer, all who sorrow, all who would be free, follow me. The path is steep. The road is long. But with my love, I will keep you strong. And then my grace will lead you home. Come, follow me. Come, follow me, faithful one, until the final race is run. Until that great amen is sung, come, follow me. Follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me.
as you listen to the words of this song, choose to follow Jesus today. We want to know um, that when we've chosen to be loved by you, we've followed that if statement towards you, that you're right there to receive us. Wrap your arms around us and say, I've got your back, come what may. This is the best possible outcome for your life. Lord, as we've listened to your word and heard your song, there is always time for a decision. So, just between God and you, and my eyes, I can pray for you as pastor. If there's anyone who has made a decision today to follow Jesus, or to follow Jesus more fully, would you just wave a hand in the air? I can know and pray for you. Thank you. Thank you, yes. See that. Thank you. Lord, we commit our lives to you. We recognize that you did business here today. We want to cast everything that we have down before you and trust that you're big enough to take it all. We're going to sing your praises. We're going to celebrate you. We're going to encourage each other to continue to walk this life of followership because it's the best possible way to live our lives in the power and the presence of Jesus. Life lived in Jesus is the best possible life. Amen. Take up your cross and follow him this week. Amen? Amen. 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 Go in peace.